0: Hi everyone, my name is Mohsen al I'm an associate professor in the School of Law at the University of Warwick. The following podcast is designed primarily for university students or those considering university studies. My aim is to provide you with a series of study tips, of thinking strategies, of even writing and exam taking strategies, Effectively, a series of tips that will help you progress through your degree more smoothly, with greater ease, and ideally, will help you learn a little bit more along the way. These are a series of tips that I provide my own students, um, and it occurred to me that it might be of greater value to a wider pool of students out there. So I hope you enjoy the tips, and if there are any questions or queries, Uh, comments you have, feel free to reach out to me via my personal website um, or via my work email. Thanks and uh, happy listening. Still here. (laughs) Great, thanks. Thanks Anima. Um, So I'm thrilled with the numbers. Um, This is great. I'm actually even a little overwhelmed. (laughs) I was not expecting this kind of a turnout. I assumed there'd be two rows. Uh, But seeing that many faces makes me uh, have to up my game. (laughs) So, let me do this the best I can. You're here to study law. You are here to read law. Now, one of the consequences that the British, or as a result of the British using the term reading law, is that students often confuse what studying law means, what it entails, and the focus ends up being on reading. Now let us take a moment and consider what the word studying actually means. So when it comes to studying what you are doing is devoting time. So if you were to look this up in any dictionary you would see that studying involves devoting time. So the first thing is that we know it's going to take time. The second is that you are devoting attention as well. So it's not just dedicating the time you're dedicating the time and the attention but dedicating the time and attention toward what? and the what is what's most interesting here it is to gain knowledge to gain knowledge and to develop a skill so we're devoting our time we're devoting our attention to gaining knowledge to developing a skill now what we have to be clear about is that not all time and not all attention is equal. Now why am I saying this to you? What is the orthodox approach toward studying that law students engage in? Nothing else. What do you do? You read. You read textbooks. You read notes. You read PowerPoint slides. You read anything you can get your hands on. You're laughing because you're thinking, what else? (laughs) You read. You spend all of this time reading. And all of you, as I was just told at the outset, are overwhelmed by how much reading you have. So you spend all your time reading. Now that is a very inefficient and, to be clear, ineffective approach towards studying. Why? To read everything, you have to devote a considerable amount of time but only dedicate a little amount of attention. Now what do I mean when I say that? All of you have experienced this. You are sitting there reading a paragraph, reading a page, and then you say oh man what did I just read? And you read it over. You're smiling and laughing again because it probably happened to you 20 minutes ago. You know full well your attention to this is razor thin. Which is one of the reasons why students love reading so much. It doesn't actually take that much effort but it gives you the illusion of effort. Oh man I spent eight hours in the library today reading. What did you read about? I don't know but I know it was important man. It was eight hours. It must have been important. So this is where I say inefficient and ineffective. It takes a lot of time and it takes very little attention. So in terms of the impact on your learning, when it comes to studying, that to me is one of the least valuable activities. Wait a second, is Mosin telling us that we shouldn't read? No, not at all. What I'm saying is that you should privilege when studying activities that minimize time, but that maximize attention as that is where you will experience the greatest return. That is where studying becomes effective. Now there's an approach that I have shared with a number of students in here, my personal T's in particular, and it's the approach that I'm going to speak to you about today. I call it a triangular method. A triangular method because it involves three activities and it's a way then of you honing in on key activities when it comes to studying so that you can, as I said, minimize time and maximize attention. Now this triangular approach involves three steps. The first step is information gathering. I am gathering information. Very good. The second step is conceptualizing. The third step is articulating. I am going to go through each one of these in turn. Now information gathering is the one that most of you spend the lion's share of your studying engaged in. This is where you are reading. This is where you are attending lectures such as this one. This is where you are watching clips on YouTube or listening to podcasts and unfortunately when many of you are in seminars as well. All of this, everything that I'm saying to you now, this is data. This is information and you are gathering that data. You're not processing the data. Most of you will be writing it down. Some of you might be a stenographers typing. Some of you will be recording. And for the vast majority of you, it'll be going in one year and out the other. Simple as that. Why? As I've told my seminar students today, this model of pedagogy is inefficient. Why? You only retain 10% of what you hear within an hour of having heard it. That means you will have forgotten 90% of what I've said by the time today's session ends. So this is horribly inefficient. But this is a form of gathering. I am collecting data. When you read, you are collecting data. When you watch, pod, or watch videos, when you watch clips, you are gathering data. When you listen to podcasts, you are gathering data. Now that is a step in your learning. It is an important step, but it is hardly the only one you use this as a means of gaining exposure to the data. So those students who have sat in on my lectures will know that I provide you with a series of narratives, stories around the law. And the idea there is that you will remember a little bit of these stories and hopefully it piques your curiosity that you decide that you're going to explore the subject further. But that is all it is, it is a stimulation, it is a provocation, it is an invitation for you to do more, but it is not the end. And I would probably go so far as to say it's not even the beginning. So this is where we have to try to expand our exposure and to deepen our exposure. And that is why these different methods become useful. So it's not enough to attend lecture, it's not enough to read, it's not enough to listen to the podcast, all of those are useful but you have to do it in a manner that as I said minimizes time and maximizes attention. So how do you do that then when it comes to gathering data? We have to think of a way as I said to avoid those instances where you doze off as you're reading where you become distracted, right? Where your attention drops, plummets, crashes, right? Or evaporates altogether. How do you do that? This is where the level engagement comes in. And there are two methods that I would suggest. The first one is you have to break up those tedious, dry activities into blocks. And blocks where you know you are reading something for a reason. So what does this look like? I don't read a chapter for the sake of reading a chapter. I don't read an article for the sake of reading an article. And I virtually never read a book from beginning to end, ever. Any time I read anything, it is going to be for a chunk of time and because there's a goal. There is something that I'm looking for. So how do I do this? I break up my time into slots. And I study, by this I mean reading, I study for 45 minutes. I operate in 45 minute blocks. Why do I do that? Any football fans here? Why? Football is set up into two 45 minute halves. And I often like to break up my studies by watching a half of football. And so I study for 45 minutes. And then I watch 45 minutes of football. And then I go back to my studying. That was my break. Now that 45 minutes, I know is invaluable. It is precious. It means my phone goes on airplane mode. It means my Wi-Fi is off. It means my mate is at home. I'm working for that 45 minutes. Afterwards, ah, go crazy. Do whatever you please. But for that 45 minutes you're focused. And you know then that you've got that 45 minutes. So that's the first bit. You've got the slot, but you still don't have the goal. So why am I reading this? What am I trying to gain? Now, I'm usually reading because I need someone to explain to me a concept I don't understand. I need information to prepare a lecture. I need information to help me write an article or a chapter. And occasionally I read just for the fun of it. But in all of those instances, I know why I'm reading. So the times when I'm reading for the fun of it, if I'm sitting in a cafe and I have a book, I don't mind being distracted. I don't mind having a chat because this is enjoyment. This is me socializing, but I happen to be socializing with a book. And the reason I read to socialize with the book is because I still want to enjoy reading. And if all I do is pile on top of myself the way you do, A series of textbooks, of articles, one after the other, never ending, to loathe reading. It's not something that you ever look forward to, which is why your attention then diminishes. So every time I sit down to read, before I begin, I say, what am I trying to achieve? What am I going to get out of this text? Why am I dedicating 45 minutes to this? Or 25 minutes if you operate in 25 minute slots. Or 75 minutes, which I discourage if you operate in 75 minute slots. What am I trying to get out of this activity? Unless you're making that decision beforehand you shouldn't be reading. Why? Because you don't know what you're looking for. So it's not so different from walking into the grocery store without knowing what you're there for. Everything looks appealing and nothing does at the same time. So you squander time just browsing aisle after aisle and then you go back was I here already and then you go back to the same section that you were before as you do with the texts. So this is where I'm saying for most of your time as a student you just read for the sake of reading and now I'm saying that when it comes to law you don't have that luxury. You only read with purpose and when I was working as a barrister and every time you had a series of cases to deal with you would never read anything except to get information that was going to help your case. If it wasn't going to help your case, you toss it aside. You could not care less. So this is where you ask yourself, why am I reading this? So this is how you increase your level of engagement. Set periods of time, no distractions, goal-oriented. Highlight, if you must. Annotate, if you like. Circle, do whatever it is some way that you are engaging with the text because we are trying as I said to counter that minimal attention that you have when it comes to reading but why you are annotating why you are highlighting is because you are identifying the information remember what we said this is information gathering you are identifying the information you are trying to gather how often have each of you read a book without knowing what you were looking for and you read those chapters for the sake of reading and you got through it and by the end of it maybe you had highlighted some portions but there's no connection between what you highlighted on one page and what you highlighted on another which is why you decide at the beginning I want to understand the separation of powers this text is going to help me better understand that So, I'm looking now at portions of it that help me understand the separation of powers. If this text does not help me understand the separation of powers, I put it aside. And I look for one that does. Because that is my goal now, to understand the separation of powers. You do not have the luxury of reading for the sake of reading. You read for goals. You read for lessons. Now, I like to say, and this is the last bit that I'll say on data gathering, I like to say that we can approach data gathering in three ways. Only two of them are useful. And one is, in fact, destructive. The first one is scanning. Scan. I get a book. I scan the table of contents. I look to see the table of contents first. I go through the table of contents, where is the information that I need, where is the data that I want to gather? Chapter 7, I don't care about the 6 proceedings ones, I don't care about the 8 following ones, I'm there for chapter 7. I get to chapter 7 and I flip through all the pages, quickly. How many sections is this broken down into? 5. Okay? I have 45 minutes. That means I have 9 minutes for each section, Well, that is it so I scan. Once I scan then I snipe. All of you have heard of snipers? You hone in with precision. Scan, snipe. If all the information you need in that chapter is in the first three pages, snipe those three pages and move on. There is nothing else that is necessary for you. Scan, snipe. The third one which I caution you against skimming. Skimming is very different. Skimming is where your attention is low, your distraction is high, and you're just flipping from one page to the next. That I say is destructive because it gives you the illusion of studying. It gives you the illusion of learning. It fools you into thinking that you've actually done something when you've done nothing. Which is why I say it is destructive it is worse than not doing anything at all. So when you are gathering information, reduce the time by focusing in on slots, minimizing the distractions, increasing your attention, your level of engagement, by deciding at the outset, what information am I trying to get out of this? Scanning, sniping, and moving on. And then you're done. For me, data gathering only takes up one-third of my time. So you feel overwhelmed with reading and I say no. Only dedicate one-third of your time to reading because one-third of your time is merely information gathering and you need to gather enough information to move on to the next stage. The next stage is conceptualization. Conceptualization involves doing something with the information that you have gathered. So you've gathered this information, whether by highlighting it, whether by annotating it, whether by sniping two or three pages. now I know what's important. So what, in fact, am I now going to do with this data, with this information? And this is where something needs to be done. Now what is the mistake that students invariably make? Is they reread the data. whether it's rereading the highlighted portions. Whether it's rereading the notes, whether it's rereading the lecture slides, just ask yourself now I don't even need a show of hands. How many of you have reread your notes when preparing for an exam? It is a standard approach, and yet it is the wrong approach. Why? Because on an exam, you're not being asked to read, you're being asked to do something else with the information that you read. So this is where in the second stage when it comes to conceptualization what you are trying to do is to deepen your mastery over the material. So that requires you to do something with the data. It can't just sit there in the books. It cannot sit there in your notes. It cannot sit there in the slides. You have to appropriate it somehow. Now, there are three ways that I suggest going about it. The obvious one, which some of you will have seen from me, mind maps. So this is my lecture. You have seen this before. This is my lecture in international law. This will be my lecture in legal theory. Some of you will be taking with me next term. This is my lecture when I give a session to my colleagues as I did yesterday on legal theory as well, third world approaches to international law. Anything that I do, I will go in with this. When I interviewed for a position here at Warwick, I came in with one of these. This is an accordion to me. I can give this lecture in five minutes. I can give it in five hours. Because I possess mastery now over all the material here. Is this my material? No. This is a compilation of the material that I identified when I was gathering information. And it was what I deemed relevant to delivering today's session. And then what I did was I appropriated it. And I appropriated it by turning it into a mind map. And by turning it into a mind map, I made it firsthand mine. This is now my information. I were to give this to the authors of the books that I relied upon, they would not understand it. They would look and see some keywords and say, hey, that's me. But that's it. The rest of it will be illegible to them. So by making it mine, I've now made it accessible and I've made it legible. So I can look at any portion here, phrase, mastery through adaptation. And I can tell you precisely what this means. And I could now begin lecturing from this point. Because this is a portrait. This is a landscape. This is a picture. This is not a PowerPoint presentation where I have to move from one to the next to the following one linearly in an order. I don't have to do that. I can go anywhere because I mind map. So anywhere here is open to me. But this isn't the only way of reordering the information and making it accessible and legible for yourself. Another way, and I'm surprised that students don't do this more often, is you take your notes, you take all that information that you've gathered in lectures, and you organize it in a table of contents. You create your own table of contents not one that mimics the book or that mimics the terminology in the book or that tries to follow the order of the slides or the lectures. No. How do you organize all of this information that you have just learned about criminal law? What makes sense to you? Well I would like to begin then with crimes. Alright, how am I going to organize crimes? Crimes we start off and then I go on to the next stage. Crimes against persons. That's what I quite like. Crimes against institutions. Crimes against whatever comes next. Now understand, what are you doing with this activity? The activity itself is the (laughs) act of studying. You are devoting time and attention to gaining knowledge and to developing a skill by reordering the information by making that information yours you are now making it accessible to you because the way you think is different from the way your professors think is different from the way the authors who you're reading think so why follow their lead if their lead doesn't make any sense to you and why not instead craft your own way so what you do then is make a mind map or make a table of contents whereby you're organizing the big picture and how you choose to organize it is going to help you develop that deeper understanding of the material itself. The third way is, in fact, by constructing a timeline. Now that's an interesting one because your notes are already with a timeline. Lecture one, lecture two, lecture three, lecture four, and so on. That's not what I mean. I mean you develop your own timeline. So you take a large sheet of paper. We're going bigger than A3 here. Big sheet of paper. And you put a timeline. And then underneath that you put another timeline. And then above that you put a third timeline. Now those timelines are going to differ based upon focus. So one timeline can be based upon how you want to order the information. What you learned at the beginning, what you learned at the end, and everything in between. Another timeline I would build with concepts. So for my own students of international law who are still in the room, where would you place the notion of sovereignty? It covers the whole gamut of international law, but there's a point in time where it emerges. And that is what I would put there. So as these different concepts emerge, then you begin to think of law not in terms of a series of discrete concepts, but now you are thinking relationally. What is the relationship between one concept and another? So sovereignty, if I put it in the mid-17th century, but I know that we studied international law in the 16th century also so I can't put sovereignty twice that would make no sense for the timeline so I have to pick something else, another concept and that requires me then to make a decision and as I'm making a decision I'm making the information mine I am making the information accessible to me I am making the information legible to me so when we conceptualize what we are trying to do is to develop a big picture view of all of that information we gathered. Remember, we read a bunch of chapters. We read different books. We read these articles. We sat in on all of these lectures. We took these notes. We downloaded the PowerPoint slides. This is a mess. There is no way I can study all of this information sequentially. It is impossible. Which is why I said, never read your notes again. Write your notes once. Identify the information that's relevant. Extract the information into a mind map, into a table of contents, into a timeline, and then put it aside. File it away. If one day you need to go back to it for some reason, it's filed away and you know where it is. And you go back to it. But now, when it comes to studying, All you're doing is studying this one sheet because this contains all of the information from that mass that is on the floor. It just happens to be organized in a legible and an accessible manner. This is accessible. Your notes are not. Your notes are not meant to be, which is why your notes are not study tools. They're resources that you can use to conceptualize information. And in the process of doing that, you are developing the mastery that I'm referring to, not merely through that act of translation, that translation is part of it, but what's more important is the adaptation. Remember I pointed and I said mastery through adaptation? That is what we're coming to. You are now adapting the information in a way that services you. I love it! (laughs) I own Google. (laughs) So I don't actually know what to say next. I was going to say mastery through adaptation, maybe I ask you to say play, and we're done. So this is where you take the information, and as you're adapting it in these different forms, the mastery is deepening. And every time you reconceptualize it, you reorder it, You understand it a little bit better because you are changing the relations. So I just started uh, supervising a new dissertation student and he came to see me on a whiteboard. I said to him, okay, why don't you tell me some of the key words that you would like to appear in your dissertation and we were writing it down. And then I put one in the center and I said, okay, now build an argument from this and build the argument just based on the keywords. So he said, if I start with this one, I'll move on to this one next, and the third one, and the fourth, and the fifth, and then he had two that were going in other directions. I said, great, it's a whiteboard, so I can erase it. I erase it, and then I had him do the exercise again with another word at the center. Now, of course, if you change the center, if you change the frame, it changes the argument, changes the investigation, it changes the analysis, and so now, He had to think of his project in another way and then of course what did i do after that i erased it and we had him do it a third time and this is precisely what i do with my doctoral students and in the process of reordering that information they are developing that mastery and what are they not doing they're not reading their notes they're not reading the books because we're not in the process of information Gathering in that hour that the dissertation student was in my office yesterday, we were conceptualizing. And I told him, I want you to come so we can conceptualize your project. So then we're just playing with keywords. We're playing with the information that we've already gathered, which is why I draw a very clear line. I throw a wall between them. If I'm spending 45 minutes reading, it's 45 minutes reading, nothing else. I don't conceptualize and I don't articulate which I'm coming to next I just read if I'm conceptualizing I never go back to a text even if there's a word that's unclear I have to figure it out and if I can't figure it out I make a note gather more information on this subject still unclear and then when I go look for an article to read I look for an article that helps me clarify that issue where there's a gap but otherwise that hour that slot is dedicated to conceptualizing. Final one, articulation. Obviously, if I spend a third on gathering and a third on conceptualizing, I'm spending a third of my time articulating. And this is the action that can have the most dramatic effect on your performance at university. And it's the one that students shy away from the most. I can't say that you shy away from the conceptualizing because you probably never thought of it. But this you will have thought of, and you wouldn't have done it. Despite the fact that you know the gains that can be made. Why? Because the attention level for this one is through the ceiling. And this is the articulation. Now regardless as to all the information that you've gathered, all the information that you've conceptualized, if you don't carry out this next step, it was all a waste. The next step is essential. The next step is articulation. This is where you practice putting what you have conceptualized in use. And you do so in one of two ways. Orally, textually. You speak it or you write it. You've already mapped it, but now you have to articulate. So I've been speaking to you for what now? 40 minutes? How many words are on this sheet? 30? 40? How many words have I spoken? hundreds the thousands how do i translate this into the session i'm delivering to you now practice how many lectures have i given over the past 10 years countless that doesn't mean that i'm special it simply means that this is the activity that i engage in and the more i engage in it the better i get at it and so give me any topic And I could probably churn out a lecture within 20 to 30 minutes of looking at the topic. Because there are techniques associated (coughs) with delivering a lecture. And one just has to be clear what those techniques are and practice them. The same is true for writing an essay. The same is true for taking an exam. The same is true for giving a presentation. The same is true for every action that you are required to undertake at this institution. And here's the amazing thing, you know precisely what is expected of you before the course, before the module begins. You just look at the syllabus and it tells you how you are going to be assessed. There's no secrecy, there's no mystery, you know exactly how it's going to happen and we go ahead and provide you with previous iterations of that activity so you know what kind of questions we are going to pose how we're going to formulate it and if you want you can also get sample answers I mean I am baffled when I see that because when I read the scripts or the essays that students submit I look at it and say did they just think of this on the day of the exam and the answer was yes they did they didn't read any of the previous exams They didn't read any of the previous answers. And what's worse, they didn't practice any of it. So what do I see every year? As I said, 10 years now I've been doing this. And what do I see every year? If there are two questions, the answer will be lopsided. 75% on the first question and 25% on the second. Why? Poor time management. But you knew there were going to be two questions. Even if you didn't know beforehand, you knew when you opened the exam script. And you know that each one is weighted at 50%, so you know in a two-hour exam you should dedicate one hour to each. And yet somehow, you still fail to do that. Why? You didn't practice. So if you know that you have two questions to answer in two hours, you sit there and you write two answers in two hours. And then you do so again and again and again and what happens when you get to the exam you're like oh yeah I already did this a dozen times I know exactly the anxiety has diminished the question is of course different but it doesn't matter because you've already done all the types of questions these are all variations of the same thing so there's no sorcery there's no mystery there is nothing to fool you not a single one of your professors is sitting there with an aha moment got you none of them all of them are like here's everything you need to perform well but why do students not do this well how did you feel in the pit of your stomach when I said sit down and practice writing two exam questions for two hours notice the laughter It's like oh, really I'd rather just read for two hours why reading for two hours requires very low attention and it gives you the illusion of effort when if you have to sit there and write for two hours you know you have to work you know you can't text anyone you know you can't have a chat you know you can't break for a bite because it's two hours and that is why students forever underperform at university because they never engage in the very activities that will produce the greatest gains. Despite the fact, as I've said, that there's no mystery behind it. I disclose this information. I share this information with you willingly. I tell you exactly how to do it. And if you follow these steps, you are almost assured to be at the top of your class because virtually no one will do it. And yet, even some of you will not do it because of the effort associated with it. So these exercises, and this is where you need a series of exercises, are intended to achieve four goals. The first one is to limber, limber, meaning stretch, warm up. So if I'm getting ready to write, I don't just start writing my articles. I say, okay, let me do a little bit of free writing for five minutes, just to get the juices flowing. Five minutes of that, I limber up. Then next, I am doing it to learn and to master so I know I'm going to learn information as I'm writing this how better to take it the exam I know that after roughly 40 minutes I begin to fade which means I need to make sure to get the bulk of my work in in that 40 minutes because I begin to fade and I need to know that I have to take a break so when it gets to that 40 minute mark and I recall this I took the uh, California bar exam I was working as a practitioner in the state of California and it was three days of exams one of the days is six hours of multiple choice and I had built into it a ten minute break every hour and all I would do would be to put my pen down and I would put my head down on the table and invariably one of the proctors would come by and tap me and see if I was okay right? and I look up and I say yeah I'm just resting I needed to rest because I knew that after doing that they all look the same so I built in the rest time into my exam taking And that was it. So you have to know yourself. So to know yourself you actually need to practice it under real conditions. So you practice it under real conditions, warm-up exercises, genuine exercises, helping you learn, helping you develop that mastery, and most important of all, these type of exercises must be done with others. What are you going to do with the script that you complete? You're going to hand it to the next person who also wrote a script on that same subject and they're going to hand it to the next person and they're going to take this script and hand it to the first person and now you're going to read how someone else conceptualized the problem, how someone else answered the problem. This is what I mean by articulation. You have to practice articulating that data that you gathered and that data that you conceptualized if you don't practice it then you are handicapping yourself because when it comes time for the exam or the essay you don't have the foggiest clue how you perform under those circumstances you don't have the foggiest clue how to write an essay in 45 minutes including outlining, identifying key words and structuring it accordingly so this is what I refer to as mastery through performance. Articulation is performance. Now, let me conclude with a vignette. So this is an interesting story that I read about in relation to football. Once again, I quite enjoy watching football here and there. A coach, and some of you may be familiar with this story, had his team line up. Eleven players on one side, the first team, and the second team, eleven players on the other and he walks to the center with his hands like this as I'm doing now And he puts it down and he backs up and he takes up his whistle and he blows the whistle and the players are standing there thinking it's a farce why he didn't put anything down it's an imaginary ball and he said play and the players are still looking at him confused perplexed baffled what does he mean and he said I want you to play now what was the lesson and what did they come to understand once they began playing with the imaginary ball that it's not just about the ball it's about your position in relation to everyone else it's about everyone else's position in relation to you it's about anticipating where people are moving anticipating where the defense is going to go based upon the angle of the kick, based upon the force that the person utilized when kicking the ball. So you see someone do this. Well, I know it's gone that way, and it was a side-footed pass, so it probably wasn't that hard. That is different than if I see someone do that, where I know that they're launching it further. And if I see someone run and jump and catch that way, I know they've just chested it so the ball is in front of them. But now that they've run 20 meters that way to chest the ball, where am I? That exercise requires attention that doesn't go through the ceiling. It requires attention that goes through the stratosphere. Playing in that way is significantly more difficult than playing with a ball. But consider the mastery that you develop when considering thinking about all of this information relationally, one in relation to the other. So when you read law, when you study law, you should be devoting time and attention. But not all time and attention is equivalent. So you find ways to devote your best time and your best attention to these three activities. Work with this triangular model try these different activities, and then come back for the next session, and I will provide you with additional tips that can help you build on these ones. Thanks.